record. Hello and welcome to Live and Let's Discuss, a 007 podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy, at Stupid Chainsaw Productions, and with me today is Noah, a.k.a. Quality Autism on YouTube. Hello. So, this was supposed to be called For Your Ears Only. This is yeah. what we marketed it as. I can say market. This is what we hyped it up as. But that title has been uh, taken. It, Which is a shame. It's been a podcast for four years and neither of us knew. It's actually, it's weird. So, there's a lot of Bond podcasts but not a lot of Bond podcasts that talk about the books and the movies. Yeah, because most people have only seen the movies, I would say. So our goal initially with this podcast is to go through the 25 Bond films. Well, the the initial canon of films and then the Daniel Craig reboot. And then we'll go off and... um, into the weird territory of the weird Casino Royale movies, uh, the remake of Thunderball called Never Say Never Again, as well as eventually talk about the John Gardner and Raymond Benson books. Uh, The format for the moment is we're going to compare and contrast the Ian Fleming novel to the movie. So we're going to start with Dr. No. Because even though it's the sixth uh, Fleming book, it's the first Bond, official Bond movie. You know, he's called James Bond, not Jimmy Bond. So I think we're, this is a good place to start. You know what's also great? This is still pretty much a adaption. Because later on in this podcast, I'm sure we're going to talk about certain movies and how they differ from the books. Yeah, like uh, The Spy Who Loved Me, for instance, we'll have to talk about the movie novelization, as well as the movie and the novel. Oh, that's going to be great. That's going to be convoluted, but we we have like a year before that happens. Yeah. I'm sure sure you're also looking forward to Moonraker, your favorite. I am looking to Moonraker because I love that novel. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, Dr. No is an interesting Bond book as well as an interesting Bond movie. Because they're very different, but at the same time, it's a the film's a great adaptation of the book. But has yes. to obviously change things because it's the first movie. Yes, and I would say, in terms of an adaption, like, this is pretty direct. Like, they really take... They really are taking the story and everything. The only thing they did was adding certain characters in it. Yes. Changing a little bit of the stuff when he's on Jamaica. There's a, I would argue there's a little more in tone that's different. But, um, yeah, well, let's get, what is the plot of Dr. No? Yeah, so the plot of Dr. No. James Bond is sent to Jamaica because one of their people there, Strangways, has disappeared. And Bond has to play detective, find out what's happening. And he discovers that there is an island called Crab Key. um, And it's owned by a mysterious person named Dr. No. 
and eventually his way is going to lead him to Crab Key and he has to face off against Dr. No and his evil plan. Very good. Um, yeah, so that's that's the general gist of both the book and the movie. And do we want to get into spoilers on this podcast? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I mean what, yeah, the, 50 years, 60 years, almost old. Yeah, and, and even though I'm I'm not a fan of spoiling things, these are discussion podcasts. They're not necessarily reviews. This is more of an anal. Uh, we're analyzing this. Uh, so the big differences between this book. Well, I'll start with tones different in uh, in certain ways. And the uh, the way that Jamaica is as a country, the in the book it's still under it's a British colony essentially still because it was written like f- nearly ten years before the movie came out, and uh, in the the movie it's been I think it was a year after uh, Jamaica got its uh, independence from. Great Britain. So very different settings in that regard. Um, in the in the book, Dr. No, Bond is sent there. It's sort of like he's getting back into the swing of things after what happened to him in From Russia with Love. He's Which be- is carried over into the movie yes. in an interesting way. Yeah, to a degree. I mean, he wasn't poisoned which is what happens at the end of from russia with love but we'll talk about that more next episode when we review from russia with love what our listeners have to understand in the books it's from russia with love is book number four no five book number five and dr no is book number six they are pretty much sequels because from russia with love ends on a cliffhanger yes and and this book starts when Bond is introduced, going into M's office, and they talk about his failure in, on his last mission, which is also in the film. But it's a different mission in the film, because obviously From Russia With Love is the second movie. Yes. Um, which brings up uh, another another big change I noticed on this watch. Long, this uh, I just watched this, for the most part, today. Uh, Noah, which was interesting. There's so many things I forgot about this movie. Hmm. Um, number one, uh, this is when Bond gets the, well, in the book, he gets the Walther PPK, which he barely even uses. I don't think he even fires it in the book of Dr. No. No, he doesn't. I just read it again. I think, what was the other weapon? He, he got a Smith & Wesson revolver. Smith & Wesson. Which is yeah. what Quarles... Act, it's the same gun that Quarles carrying around in uh, the movie. Yeah. Um, but in the movie, he's carrying a Walther PP, which I think is the only time Bond's ever used that gun. Hmm. Uh, Walther PP is... I, I'm, I'm explaining a German gun to my friend that's German. <laughs> that's kind of right. that's kind of funny. Walther PP has a longer slide, hmm. and they came out before the PPK. Uh, personally, I've never shot a PP, but I hate the aesthetic of it. It looks goofy to me. The PPK is a more elegant firearm that fits Bond hmm. better. 
yeah. With that being said, they both look better than the P ninety nine that we start seeing in the Pierce Brosnan movies. Oh yeah, Pierce the P ninety nine is very much a nineties firearm. Hmm. But um, yeah, so if when we are talking about the scene right now, can we talk about one thing I noticed on my recent rewatch? Yes, the the guy who gives Bond his new gun is actually Q. Yes. Which, which I didn't really realize until I watched it this time and M is calling him Major Boothroyd. Yes, he's is, not course, credited to Q. Yeah. That's super weird. Yeah, I mean, in the books, there is no Q character. There is a Q branch and Major Boothroyd is the guy who gives Bond a gun. Mm-hmm. But they kind of fused like these two characters together, like they created Q for the films. Yeah, they make fun of his Beretta 25. Oh, yeah. Which, granted, is a very tiny, tiny gun. What What does he say? Perfect for a woman's... Flight. Woman's handbag. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's actually... Uh, they don't really make Beretta 25s anymore. They don't really make the 25 caliber anymore. To be fair, it's kind of outdated. Uh, but yeah, like the, a tip-up um, pistol like that, they're they're designed for elderly women who can't pull the slide back on a gun. <laughs> it's literally that's their only purpose. In this in a, in a world of Glocks, that's their that's their one purpose. That's great. There's also a fun backstory because um, about this gun change. In the books, because yeah, a, yeah, a fan wrote Fleming and said, "Yeah, that's not a gun a secret agent would use. Why don't you have him use like a Walter PBK or stuff?" And of course, this guy was named Boothroyd. <laughs> that's funny. I didn't know that. Yeah, and then he, so he wrote this character in and called him Major Boothroyd, and he gives Bond a gun. It's a pretty fun Easter egg. Yeah, in uh, in the book. Bond, it doesn't really come off in the movie. Bond kind of accepts after trying to sneak out his Beretta, getting told to leave it on the table. In the book, he really resents uh, M for the, uh, the the whole, basically the whole book for doing this and changing out his guns and then... Yeah, and then sending him on this mission, Bond is really pissed about it. Yeah. Because he Bond that M is kind of punishing him. Yeah. With this easy assignment. Yeah, and we'll talk about that more once again with, with From Russia With Love, because there's there's reasoning behind that. And, um, yeah, so I really love Jamaica in this film. Oh, yeah. Uh, but before we get there, I wanted to talk about uh, his uh, Bond's intro in this movie is so cool with him gambling. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's straight out of Casino Royale. Yes, it is. And it made me wish that they had the rights to a Casino Royale movie with Sean Connery. Yeah, it would have been great. Yeah, but at the time they didn't, they couldn't, and we'll talk about this more. I keep alluding to things, but we'll talk about this a bit more. We can get into it a little bit now. Um, they tried to make a Casino Royale movie, and it was like a teleplay in the 50s. It was awful, but Ian Fleming, well, they lost the rights to, they were owned by a certain, I can't remember what company owned 
the I think rights. CBS owned them first. Yeah, but television program, and then they sold it to a guy named like Feldman. And then this guy made a Casino Royale spoof in the 60s once the Sean Connery Bond movies became a big thing. Which is horrendous, and I I, I, yeah. I, I loathe the day that we, we have to talk about that. Um, but, yeah. It's, um, they decided, like, oh, we're just gonna, we're gonna do Doctor No as the first film. And it's yeah, a solid what? first film. Because um, they have to, they had to change it. Problems with that, yeah. Um, we, Bond goes to Jamaica, and they play the Bond theme over and over and over again. I actually kind of love it. It's the only good piece of music in that whole film. If I if I have one complaint about this film, it's well, I have two complaints. One complaint is the aspect ratio is just awful. It's not quite 16 by 9, and when you're watching on a widescreen TV, you get uh, weird black bars on the sides of the screen. It, <laughs> it's just some films... It was the film stock they used in the early 60s, because I think From Russia With Love will have the same problem. Hmm. Because I know they, sh- they had to reshoot the uh, gun barrel scene in the beginning, which, by the way is not Sean Connery in the gun barrel. It's a stunt man. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's weird. But the other thing is the score is pretty much awful. I kind of disagree. Because kind of, because I think there are some good pieces of this Jamaican style, uh, sound like, when they are in this club, you know, this Jamaica jump up, this band is performing. I oh, mean, the Calypso? I, like this, I hate yeah, I Calypso. I like this kind of stuff. I, I, I truly hate Calypso music. Oh. I, it is, I, think, I think it's good for the atmosphere. We are yeah, Jamaica, yeah, it makes... Music, that's, that's all good. Yeah, it's just the, the, the main song in the beginning is just... Oh, repetitive. Three Blind Mice? Yeah. <laughs> This is actually kind of amazing because, okay, what has become a staple of the Bond movies is the Bond theme in the opening, you know, credit sequence. And this time in the very first movie, it's just the Bond theme, mm-hmm. which is, I mean, appropriate. It's cool. Yeah. It's, the it's... series started with that. And then it goes into the, you know, the Calypso thing. And then it goes into Free Blind Mice and then directly in the film and i'm i like it i like that it it sets up because that's from the book where it's three uh it's three assassins disguising themselves as three blind men yes and i like the way that it goes directly yeah no visually i like it it's but the music it's just yeah I, I could do it's too sixty early sixties for its own good, and we have to. I'm also comparing it to the later Connery films, where the music is just even from when when we transfer into From Russia with Love, it's so much better. It's such a better, much better score. And don't even get me started with like. Oh how- yeah, because yeah, because we because the composer for this one was Monty Norman. Yes. Yeah, and then John Barry takes over for decades. Oh, yeah. With the and... occasional, he takes a break. Oh, yeah, that's true. 
But I would say, okay, so to the listeners, you understand, we are not saying Monty Norman did a bad job. I mean, after no. all, this guy created the Bond theme. No, it's just, it, it's, in comparison, it's not Bond enough. And there's yeah, too much it Calypso. Sets, it sets the tone, it helps the atmosphere, but we would wish more for a Barry-like score because that's what we really like. I mean, I, I still say. wish for that in the modern Bond films. Yeah. I'm sure we're going to get to it eventually. <laughs> yeah, in uh, two years. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, so Bond in Jamaica's interesting. We get in the movie, which is different from the book, we're introduced to... Quarrel, who's one of my favorite Bond sidekicks, because in especially in the books, because we get Quarrel twice, because he's introduced in the novel of Live and Let Die, and um, we we meet him again in Doctor No, which is a few books after. Yes, and it's interesting with the movies because obviously Doctor No comes first, and is Sean Connery's first outing as Bond. Mm-hmm. And later they would make Live and Let Die, the first movie of Roger Moore. And of course, they would bring in Quarrel Jr. Yes, instead of instead of Quarrel. Which I think was a nice nod mm-hmm. to like, yeah, Live and Let Die and Dr. No were kind of sequels, you could say. Like they shared some similarities. Mm-hmm. And I like that it's carried over for the movies in some yes, capacity. Yes, I do appreciate that. Also, I like that Felix Leiter... Even when he's introduced, he introduces Quarrel uh, to Bond like he does in Live and Let Die, to a certain oh, yeah. extent. Uh, the novel of Live and Let Die. Yeah. Oh, and we should say Felix Leiter. Speaking of him, he's not in the book. They wrote him in for the film only. Yes. Um, yeah. Because they and need have- to establish Felix Leiter. And because he'll be a character going forward in these in the Bond he series. Will be, yeah, he will be a character going forward, but he won't be the same actor going forward. No, oh my. shame. Out of all of the... Because everyone talks about how there's so many Bonds, there's been more M's, but Felix Leiter has only stayed the same. In, I think until... It's the Daniel Craig movies. They It's been the same actor. Yes, and the one guy. He was in Live and Let Die, and then again in License to Kill. And that's it. Oh, gosh, I forgot he was in Live and Let Die. And every other time, Felix Leiter is played one actor each movie. Only once. It's amazing. Yeah, and some of them are pretty bad. Some of them are really good. This one's okay. Oh, you say okay, I say great. I, I don't know. There's better. I, I, you know what? I'm, I'm being a little hard. I'll go. He's pretty good. Yeah, because he's... I would say he comes across on Bond's level. Like Jack Lord is the actor, and man, I watched this movie, and he is so cool. And just, I absolutely get the feeling like, yeah, this guy could absolutely be like best buddy, best friend with Bond. You're winning me over here. <laughs> Yeah, but, I mean, take for example the scene in the bar on Jamaica when they are talking and quarrel and this photography girl come in and Bond comes across kind of like uh, who sent you? What are you doing? Kind of like, you know Irritated. Know, yeah. Yeah. He, he loses Felix composure. In scene, 
is really like laid back and cool and I just love him in this role and I wish he would have stuck around longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah, because immediately changed within the next film. Well, in Goldfinger. In Goldfinger, yeah. Sorry, I'm I'm combining from Russia with Love and Goldfinger a little bit here. <laughs> Both are really solid films, and I can't wait to get to them. But um, yeah, we get to see we see some different things. Um, I want to skip around a little bit because I don't want to just full on go scene for scene the movie here. All right. The bug scenes. Can we talk about the bug scenes? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, in, in the book, so in the book, a centipede crawls on bonded. It's the most horror. You think it's the most horrifying thing ever because it's just, it goes on and on and on and, and on. And you're just like, Oh God, please, please leave him alone until we get to, I'm skipping to Dr. No's pain device briefly. Oh, I know what you're going to say. And, uh, he bonds stuck in this tunnel thing. And then he has to go through a bunch of tarantulas. Oh, Oh, I was, so I listened to these books on audiobook while I, while I drive and I was literally gagging (laughs) this whole time, but they combine them because, you know, he ends up killing all these tarantulas and leaving them in a gross pile. Yeah. Uh, he killed him with fire, I think. No, he kills them by stabbing them with a stick. Oh, right. Right. Oh, disgusting. Which is heinous. Well, they're obviously not going to film that. Uh, animal <laughs> rights activists after the birds would never allow something like that. So they combine them together and he has a spider crawl up him. And this yeah. is the only like uh, heinous thing. When we get to the Bond girl, Honey uh, Child Rider, um, she talks about how a, a man assaulted her and that he she killed him in both the book and the movie by putting a black widow on him and it bit him. And he took like a week to die, which by the way, have you ever been bitten by You probably don't even have black widows where you live. Noah. Nope. Cause it's way too cold for them. No, we get them here. Um, I've had friends who are bitten and it's literally like you get like a, my, there's there's anti-venom now, but you have to get the shot within an hour. Otherwise, it's like you won't die from it necessarily unless it like literally bites you on the chest or something. If you get bit on the arm, it's like a week of uh, just vomiting and uh, oh, migraines and stuff, and, like having mm. problem with like light and stuff. Like it happened to my mom when she was younger. So like I, I, I avoid them Ooh. like the plague. We get them here where I live, and they're nasty. They're one of those poisonous spiders we get here. And they're everywhere, like, through most of the United States, you you find black widows. They're gross. They're freaky. But, yeah. um, So, Dr. No uh, is one of my favorite Bond villains. Oh, yeah. Because he's so weird. He's so... He's almost like a... Honestly, he has no emotion, really. He's like a robot. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, well, he's really cold. He has no hands, first of all. Well, he has mechanical hands. He has mechanical hands, but he has no he had his hands cut off. Um as Which well he explains in the movie because he was part of the like Chinese underground, which is the same as in the book. A difference is they don't mention his first name is Julius. So he's just Dr. No. And Doctor isn't even his real title. He just named he just calls himself a doctor, but he isn't one. Yes. He also in the book has uh I mean it could be in the movie too, but it never comes up. He has his heart is on the right side of his body. Right, because in the book it's explained. So these gangsters, they cut off his hands and then shot him in the chest. And the only reason he survived is because like you said, his heart is on the other side of the yeah. chest. So he made himself into basically he bought an he stole their money, he bought an island, and he has like this device to um has change the trajectory of rockets. Yeah. Um which in the movie is for Spectre. Because they were building a, that uh Spectre up as the big baddie. But in the book, it's for Schmesh. Not necessarily, but it's definitely for the Russians. That's how much well, Bond thinks it's potentially for Schmesh. Yeah. Bond has and an obsession with Schmesh. Oh, yeah. But knows, Dr. Knows said, you know, he's doing this for the Russians, and maybe he will also do something for the Chinese if they pay him well enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I so I get I get where they got the like Spectre idea because this is not directly like a Russian thing like in mm-hmm. some previous books. Yeah, and the movie kind of stayed away from making demonizing the the Russians like Fleming did in the book, and that that's a theme throughout all pretty much all the Bond movies. Yeah, they 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 didn't want to do that. I'm I'm not sure. I'm not entirely sure why they. So I would I would have two ideas about it. One, they just didn't want the films to become too political. You know, and I mean it's nice to have some optimism but, and stuff but, in but films. they do later. Hmm. Uh, for your eyes only, and the 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 Margaret Thatcher parody. Yeah, that's true. Maybe they, uh, yeah, the, yeah. Maybe the other idea was, okay, we're gonna make these movies, but if the Cold War is over at some point, we also want these films to make money in Russia, and maybe this wouldn't work if we insult them. Yeah, fair enough. I I get that. But yeah, Fleming had no holds bar. Just Russians, Russia villain. <laughs> Literally has an organization that's death to spies. Yeah, which is only mentioned in the films like twice, I think. In From Russia with Love and then in Living Daylights. Oh, yeah, uh, uh, a little bit. It's not. It's not a big thing. 
yeah, it's just small mentions of it. Yeah. Which um, I think it may have to do with the fact that Smirsh was a real organization. Oh, I you know, I've not looked into that. Yes, <laughs> I have looked into it, and I think Fleming even says said it in a foreword for From Russia with Love, his book. Smirsh was a real organization, but the only thing I could find about them is, yeah, Smirsh existed in the, during the Cold War, and there's a fictionalized version, version of it in Fleming's books, but that's it. Like, hmm. no other mention what they were doing or anything. Interesting. Can, can we talk about how the, the Bond girl in the book is just naked? Uh, yeah, sure. For a lot it's of obvious, it? It's obvious why they didn't do it for the film. Yeah. <laughs> we don't need it to be uh, R. Is, was Dr. No even rated originally? Or is the MPAA a thing yet? It's um, gotten a PG rating sure, now. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure it was rated. Because um, I looked up a little bit. Um, the director, Terrence Young, he said like... He had to make the script, like, kind of self-parody jokey, because if they play it straight, they would get censored to hell. It's interesting, because his, I would argue his movie's not, doesn't feel like a parody. It actually, it feels a bit brutal at times, and it comes down to his cinematography, um, his cinematography, there's a lot of uh, the, the camera panning around and stuff and establishing shots, long takes, which which now pretty much don't exist in Bond films. Oh, long takes? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we know Quantum. Oh, God. That's like the opposite of Dr. No. Yeah. <laughs> Quantum Solace is how not to make a movie, but... Yeah, but on that note, I watched Dr. No again, like... No, like, I think last year I already rewatched it, and it got up a few spots in my top ten. Because yeah. I think the pacing is great. Yes, it, there is never a dull moment in Dr. No. And... Yeah. Because the story keeps you engaged. Yeah, the Bond's always doing something. Yes, and it's not always like super awesome action scenes. Like we have these nice moments where Bond is talking with people and doing actual detective work. Yes. Like when he's walking around in his apartment and stuff. Which will disappear. Sadly. <laughs> yeah, that's something I, I, I do appreciate. I also appreciate the just driving. Yeah, he does a lot of driving around, which I, I actually looked up the vehicle because I was not familiar with it. And it's a Sunbeam Alpine, and it is mm. an adorable little car. I want one. Yeah. I say that for ninety percent of the Bond vehicles, um, mm. not the Pierce Brosnan vehicles. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you don't like those. Not uh, the later Roger Moore vehicles, either. Hmm. Well, they're garbage. They were actually really garbage cars. I think he drives, like... Oh, just... Cars in the 70s were kind of terrible. So, like... Give or take. 
I also like mm-hmm. that we haven't, we don't have a lot of, uh, in fact, we don't really have a lot of gear like as, in future Bond films. There's all mm-hmm. the gadgets and stuff, and the car does a thousand things. You don't have it. You just have Bond's wits. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. Uh, I'm not sure if I really have any complaints about this movie. Other than the score. <laughs> yeah, I would say this is like near perfect what you want out of a James Bond movie. It's the perfect establishment film. Yeah. Although, I, there's certain things that honestly I prefer for in the movie than I do in the book. Oh. Doctor Knows Death in the movie is a lot better than in the book. Yeah, that we should also talk about this. But first, since you mentioned it, what I like, what they added, is expanding this whole plan of Dr. No with the rockets because that's basically already established in the scene with M. Yes. That there is something going on. Whereas in the book, it's kind of a last-minute surprise. Oh, that that's his plan. Yeah, because he has a big monologue. Resolved. He goes into one of his Fleming evil monologues, which I love. Yeah, I mean, he kind of does in the movie. Yeah, it's cut down substantially because in the book, it's an exposition dump. And we don't, we, you, you don't want that in a movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh. One of the things in the book is that Crab Key, which is uh, Dr. No's Island, is used for, what is it, like, it's like some sort of bird dung. Yeah, a guano mine. It's a guano mine, and they, Dr. No has people use it for fuel, and that's how he makes his money legally. But in the move, in the book... Bond hits him with a crane and he gets buried in feces. Which is awesome, but wouldn't have worked in the film. <laughs> Can you imagine the first Bond film? The villain gets covered in dumb. In sh- yeah. In, uh, yeah, in, in feces. It'd be terrible. No one would. <laughs> It would be kind of awesome, but at the same time, it would go, like, full-on, like, self-parody. Yeah. In the movie, he dies in... I'm not sure what that is, to be fair. Boiling atom water? Yeah. And they also try to make it ironic because of his hands. He can't climb out. Yeah, because he can't actually grip. (laughs) He can only smash things with his hands, as we have seen in the dinner scene. Yeah, he he, he uh, crushes... I don't know how this exactly works. Can we talk about his hands for just a moment? Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. in the books, aren't this, aren't they just like... They're pincers. Like steel things, you know? They're... Like these really simple... You can just pick up stuff with them. Yeah, they're pincers. And not like whole fingers and stuff. No... No, that it was clear that they wanted to cut corners and just have him have his gloves on and not use his fingers. <laughs> it's like, have you ever seen the movie Enter the Dragon? No. 
Okay, it's Bruce. It's a Bruce Lee movie. It was his one American film. Uh, the villain in that is missing a hand, and he replaces. He has different like appendages he puts on. Like one's <laughs> like a knife hand and stuff, but his main one is it's just made of like jade. He just hits people and breaks their bones. <laughs> and that that's what I think Doctor No's hands were in the movie. And he hits Bond with them and like Bond gets a bruise. Ooh. I I don't know. The brawl at the end's a little confusing. Mm-hmm. But it's fine. Watched. It's yeah. it's better than a lot of the Roger Moore fights. Yeah, especially his later fights. Well, any of them. Nah, some some good ones, yeah. I would say. But what we also should talk about is the set design by yeah. Ken Adams. There is one shot in particular when this doctor, you know, not Dr. No, this other guy from Jamaica, visits Dr. No on his island, and he sits down in this giant empty room. Yes. He only has like, this hole in, in like the ceiling. And there's one chair, and then on the other side there is this table with the spider on it. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing. It is a great shot. And uh, hearing Dr. No speak for the first time in the film, it's like, this is great. Like, this is just awesome stuff. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. It, this is one of those few Bond movies where we don't know if you're going in blind and you've never seen a Bond movie and you're going through it. You don't know what to spe- expect of uh, Dr. No or who he is. There's a big mystery around it. Where yeah. Whereas a lot of times the villain's introduced at the beginning. Yeah, and this is a slow build-up for the big final, which is pretty good it's pretty solid can can i bring up one tonal thing that's different between the books and the movies specifically with dr no it's very apparent um Hmm? bond is more remorseful when he kills people in the book like he he apologizes to honey rider in the in the book when he right. when he kills people in front of her in the movie, he does not care one bit. Yes, because there's this scene in the swamp or whatever where Honey is like, "Why? Why did you have to kill him?" And he's like, "Because I had to." Yep. And he's just, yeah. Uh, I like it. I like both. Yeah, it's it's just a different characterization. Um, it's. Yeah. I I will say a weak point in this is uh with with the book of Dr. No we get more of Honey Child Rider like what her character's like and stuff in the movie just kind of one dimensional. Well, a little bit. A little bit. We get but a I mean tiny I can also bit. see why they you know didn't go full on with what the book had in it because she wants to be a call girl yeah 
<laughs> she must be a call girl. She basically she in the book she we find out her parents died when she was young and she was raised by the nanny and then the nanny died and so she was alone with the animals. And yeah. And I mean not to say that she was a bad character. I think it hits a good balance where she's like naive mm-hmm. and like innocent but not really like stupid not not like a complete idiot or something no she knows how to survive oh yeah and and we get that a little bit in the movie with her introduction which is the iconic scene of her coming out of the uh the ocean <laughs> it's like that, that's like i iconic 60s cinema right there you can look at that and be like, "Oh, this is a this is a James Bond film." Just looking at yeah. that. Whereas in the book, she's nude with a belt. That would have. That, I mean, to be fair, that would also have been an iconic shot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That would have gone over real well in 1963. Yeah. Or was it 62? 63. It's 62. I'm looking at. I'm looking at it right now. Oh, sixty-two. Oh. From Russia with Love was sixty-three. Hmm. But yeah, um, we get. I like the the movie ends abruptly, but that's that's to be how um, they both the book and the movie end abruptly. It's just we get more closure of things in the book, where things are wrapped up. Yeah, and what's gonna happen with Honey? later on yes which is rare for a bond novel and i appreciate dr no for doing this because like we'll talk another good example of that and it's in from russia with love a cliffhanger it's a huge cliffhanger and -hmm. things aren't resolved and things are rush resolved at the beginning of dr no a certain character is like, oh, she's dead now. It's like, oh, okay. Okay, I guess that happened. It's, yep. not, it's not sad. And, it's not. Yeah. And another character from the previous book simply doesn't get mentioned ever again. Yes. And to be fair, a lot of times Bond girls aren't mentioned ever again. Although I will say in Doctor No... He in the book he thinks back to Solitaire, who's the uh, Bond girl in Live and Let Die, because that and the climax of that is in near Jamaica. Yeah, but I mean, in the books, I wouldn't say. I would say most of them are referenced at least once again. Vespa Lind, for example, from Casino Royale, in a pretty big way later well, on. Well, yeah, she's a defining character. Yeah. She, she's, like, one of the defining characters for Bond's character. Yeah, one of two women who are actually, like, this important in the book series. Yeah, yeah. I know who else you're talking about, even though I've not gotten that far in the books yet. So, any uh, closing thoughts for you, Noah? 
Oh, a couple of things I wanted to mention before we close out. Yes. First off, we have, you know, Bond's introduction, the, the great scene in the casino, but we also have the introduction of another character who will return, Sylvia Trench. Oh, that's true. Yeah, one of the few returning Bond girls. The first Bond girl to return in a sequel. Yeah. yeah, I forgot. Up until they all got like dementia and forgot it, and now they claim, oh, Madeline Swan in Spectre, and then no time to die. She's the first Bond girl to return ever. No, no. She's <sighs> the first main Bond girl. I'll give them that. Yeah. But, no. Nope. The interesting thing is they wanted Sylvia Trench to stick around for the first six movies mm-hmm. and be like a joke thing at the side where he's like, uh, like in From Russia With Love, he's hanging out with her at the beginning. Yes. And then to leave because, you know, his job needs to be done. And they wanted this as a running joke. But obviously that didn't happen. That's kind of, I'm kind of okay with that. Going off of Bond's opinion of relationships like that, it wouldn't have lasted that long. In, at least in the book, book novel Bond, Fleming Bond, it wouldn't have done gone so well. Yep. So two other interesting things to mention. Dr. No in this is, of course, very close to the book. Great performance and everything, but... I think in the first draft of the script, Dr. No was supposed to be a monkey. What? Yes, that was the original plan, and then they rewrote it. Richard Maybaum, in fact, who would go on to write 13 Bond movies up until License to Kill. Okay. Yeah, because he was feeling, oh no, we need this to be closer to Fleming's book. We can't have Dr. No be a goddamn monkey. (laughs) That's ridiculous. That is so stupid. You know, that that's like something that the current Bond writers would do. Yeah. I would actually be fine with them doing it. Just embrace stupidity. No, like that's... Daniel that's... Craig's emo run in the last few films. Oh, no, no. I no. would I would actually be curious to see. That like, would be... If the Moonraker-style movie how this would work today no what we need is another james bond legends video game with daniel craig's face in that um in, yeah, oh, in the space suit in the space he's, suit he's shot into space to the moonraker station yeah it would be great oh god i yeah that's i mean that's too craig, much craig can still return for movie number six, it will come out 2035. You, you, yeah. It, oh, God. Oh. Uh, what's the last thing? I don't want to think about this anymore. <laughs> okay, l- last thing. Honey Rider, there is an interesting fun fact about the character. This has more to do with the books than the movie, but it's interesting. So, in the 60s or 70s, I... I'm not sure. There was a book called James Bond, James Bond, the unauthorized biography. Yes. Yes. And in that book, it's weird and meta because it claims 
James Bond was a real person and he had some of these adventures, but then Fleming like made up a bunch of other stuff. And in this book, the author claims James Bond married Honey Rider, like the real Bond, as he said. What? Yes, it's a really, it's really weird. Have you read this? Nope. I don't know if I want to because this is basically not a Bond book because it's not the same character as in Fleming's novels. But I mean, you'll read John Gardner. Yeah, true. Which is also weird because he follows the movie example. He brings Bond in the 80s and this guy should be like 60 years old or something, but he's still like mid-30s, early 40s. (laughs) So it's basically what the, yeah, the movies... And he just doesn't explain it. He's like, oh yeah, Bond, M, Moneypenny, Felix, they don't age. Like, who cares? It's just the 80s 80s now. We we just need a Bond book where he's like 90. Yeah. He ages so slowly. And and we introduce James Bond Jr. Oh. We'll, We'll have to talk about that. I, I I don't want to. I I. Ugh. We got a couple years before that happens. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Some closing thoughts. Um, I thoroughly recommend people watch this movie and read this book. Absolutely. Highly. I would say this movie. This movie, like you said, it's a great introduction to the character. Like, it works really great as that. But it's also a good adaption of the book. Yes, which a lot of these aren't. Yeah. And I mean, it don't follows it directly, obviously, like most uh, book-to-movie things do. They change stuff, they add some characters or plot lines or remove little things. But overall, this is close. And this is pretty good. So it works both stand alone and if you want a movie adaption of the book yeah um i'm gonna do a closing thing like we do in my podcast star wars legends which you've been a part of noah yeah Uh, what bond book are you currently on so i finished a reread of dr no in preparation for this in case i I forgot anything i appreciate yeah then I read a Anthony Horowitz novel, Forever and a Day, which came out, I think, 2017-ish. Yes. And it is a the prequel most... to Casino Royale. Okay. It's actually pretty decent. All right. Yeah, you were telling me about this a little while ago. Um... Yeah. He also wrote a direct sequel to Goldfinger, which I'm, I think I will start next week or so. Okay. Because it sounds interesting. That is interesting. Um, I just... I'm a, I am finished Goldfinger not too long ago. I think it was about a f- almost a month ago. Hmm. And I'm about to start For Your Eyes Only. Short story collection. Yes, the first short story collection. Which also all of those stories are collected in a novel... Uh, in, a, in, a, in a volume called... Uh, Quantum of Solace, which was printed because Quantum of Solace came out. 
Yes, because they took the title of the short story and nothing from the plot. What does Quantum of Solace even mean? I can't remember. Quantum of Solace. So that's the funny thing. It me it means like what was it? The minimum of feelings you need in a relationship to work or something like that. But in the short story itself, Fleming has his character say, oh yeah, I came up with this phrase, quantum of solace, because it sounds pretentious and interesting. <laughs> and then they unironically used it for the movie and didn't explain what it means. Idiot. So it perfectly fits for the director of quantum. He's an idiot. Yeah. Freaking idiot. The example you gave one time was pretty great. This guy, if he was in like a art-like thing, you know, he sees a banana duct taped to the wall. And oh, he he's a modern it, artist. Yeah, it's yeah. transcendent. He's it's transcendent. Yeah, <laughs> but more on that when we we have to suffer through quantum assaults again. I'm actually looking forward to it because it's so great to make fun of. Oh God, I I, Mark I hope Foster and his four elements. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, boy. Water, wind, and fire. Amazing, amazing. Captain Planet, he's our hero. He's going to take pollution down to zero. <sighs> so awful. Uh, yeah. What a way to end this first episode. <laughs> With the weight. of quantum, as we should. Yeah. Where okay? But, where would you put Bond on your Doctor No on your? Would it make your top ten list? Oh, absolutely, it would. Would it make I'm your top? I'm a big fan of the '60s era Bond. Would it make your top five? Ooh, that's tough. That's really tough. Okay, let me go through it quick. In my top five, what needs to be in it is, on a Majesty's Secret Service, definitely, from Russia with Love. Living Daylights, I would say. Mm -hmm. License to Kill, probably. Okay. And yeah. ooh, I want to say Doctor No, but there might be others that I like more. But Doctor No, it's up there. It's definitely up there. We'll have to do an episode sometime debating our top ten. Because I want to yeah. keep mine secret. But, you know, this movie, rewatching it yesterday, it made me realize how much I miss these type of Bond movies. Yeah, me too. Um, everything is big explosions now. And, yeah, and this is just, just a nice, small-scale detective story. It takes you to one foreign location. Yeah. And shows it off. There's no helicopter that flips upside down. Yeah. After a building falls down. There's no secret villain layer that explodes when you fire one shot at it. From an like AK-47. There's a... <laughs> there's no... Bond doesn't run across the backs of alligators. There's no laser that comes out of a watch. There's no so BMW that turns invisible. After oh, yeah. that, you that fires twelve gauge rounds. That you has a race through an ice castle that's melting. 
there's it's so the... nice to have a simple story like this. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, we will get to every single one of those things I just said. Yeah. Some of them are fun. Some of them and are some fun. Some of them are not. Yeah. Um until next time, guys. Have a good Goodbye. one. Goodbye.